Hi everyone, welcome back to the Unpolished MBA podcast. In this episode, I share a conversation I had with Mike Tatum, a military soldier turned marketing guru. He is one of the best. He's the person that spends his time studying marketing automation platforms on the weekend. And he helps companies like SurveyMonkey create marketing that actually builds revenue. None of the fluff. As I always say, without revenues, you don't have a business anyways. So there must be a focus there. With us both being in alignment with that, this was a great conversation. So listen in as Mike and I talk about career moves and entrepreneurship. All right, I'm going to start by asking the first question. Are you an entrepreneur or corporate employee? Yeah, so I'm actually both. I have a corporate job and I also take on freelance work through an agency that I set up. Not sure if I really call it agency. It's really just me doing the work. It's just nice to have like that official agency feel. And I do have a couple of people who help me out in terms of project management and everything. So I'm a glutton for punishment. So I actually do both. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to dive deeper into that one in a moment. Um, MBA or no MBA? So no MBA. I thought about it. I just, you know, for me, like it would just take time. Like I'd have to take away from work and like, I just love what I do so much. Like for me go, saying, oh, I'm going to stop and go to a classroom for two years. Just it hasn't really spoke to me to make me kind of take the leap. But yeah, I like it's just one of those things that it's always on the back of my mind. I'm not sure where I'm going to eventually go. I'm probably leaning towards no right now. <laughs> okay, good. Because I'm always interested to know how people learn about even setting up their own business. So you said you're both. You have yep. an agency. And no, and so I know you want to kind of discount it and call it, oh, it's just me. <laughs> but listen, yeah. that is the first step. Every company yeah. starts with one person. You have it set up as your business grows. You can add people. Like that's the effect of being a business owner. Yeah. But most sure. people who start, who's like, yeah, I don't have an MBA they, or do have an MBA are like much yeah. more confident that, hey, I could do this. <laughs> so how did you even get started to say, you know what, I'm going to set this up. And, you know, we're going to see where it goes. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Yeah. So really like what I was doing, um, my wife was a big part of driving me to kind of take this leap. And so one of the things like I'm doing my corporate job and like I'm crushing it, like I'm getting all these amazing results. And my wife just kind of has this thing because I always tell her about what's going on, you know, with my day and what kind of things I'm working on. She'll be like, oh, you're doing all this amazing work for these companies. Like, why don't you get your own clients and do it for yourself? And so I was like, okay, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like I could easily do this for other people. And so she pushed me to kind of take the leap and set this up. And, you know, I've started taking on projects and I just love it. I love the duality of having a job where like I'm engaged with a lot of colleagues with mm-hmm. one big company, kind of, you know, yeah. keeping my skills sharp mm-hmm. and also kind of applying what I'm learning to my business. And I'm working for clients and Vice versa as well, too. I pull a lot of things I'm working with for like clients that have nothing to do with B2B SaaS, where mm-hmm. I work kind of during the day and I'm able to take learnings and apply that to the job. So I think they create synergy between each other. Yeah, they definitely complement each other. You know, a lot of employers, and it just depends, old school employers, not so much, but yeah. ones, especially startups, or not even start. And I would say companies that's been created over the last 10, 15 years, yeah. they actually like that. 
because yeah. you're bringing in new ideas and stuff into them and they like to see that you're constantly learning and growing and it only helps them make more money. Yes, for <laughs> it helps sure. You make for sure. Having that, you know, entity, yeah. but it, makes, it helps them make more money too. Yeah, so, definitely. Well, yeah. that's awesome. I did a little bit of research, of course, because we're connected on LinkedIn. So I know yeah. that you have a background in advertising. I didn't even yeah. know. So that goes to show you <laughs> that we live in silos. And that's why I like to talk to smart, interesting people. I learned so much from all of you that I have on the podcast. Yeah. I didn't know that advertising was actually a major. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know uh, that. So tell yeah. me, how did you choose that? Why did you choose it? And go from there. Because you're amazing at, you know, which yeah. is now advertising. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So there are a ton of, of schools out there offering advertising as a major. So it's completely understandable. But yeah, so I actually, I had a, college, a crazy kind of college career, just like everyone else. I actually started out studying history because I've always been fascinated just by like real life stories and I think how history kind of predicts things that are going on in the future. And so I was studying history, like, because it was my passions. Like, you know, I love history. Why don't I major in history? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know, what are the job prospects of the history degree? And obviously, like, teaching's a pre prevalent one. That's where most people end up going. And like, I didn't love teaching. I have so much respect for what teachers do. I personally cringe at the thought of having a classroom full of small kids every single day. Um, because <laughs> I have my own two little ones, so I know how bad that can be with just two. Like having like thirty is like, oh my god, having a room uh, full of them, oh right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, out of that, I decided, you know, what do I like and what can I take into something else? And kind of on a whim, I took a class that was a uh, communications theory, which is kind of like the theory on interpersonal communication and mass communication, and I fell in love with it. And particularly advertising and marketing was a big one for mm -hmm. me. So I found my passion with that and I ended up, you know, changing my major to advertising and actually switched schools to go to VCU because they had a phenomenal advertising program. And yeah, from there it just really took off. Like I had a natural knack for it and like I've just been on that path ever since. It's so interesting you say that because I know marketing, once my eyes were open to marketing and how powerful it is and basically how yeah. everything I do every day is pretty much driven by marketing and yeah. everything we wear, what we buy, what we eat, how we raise our kids. And exactly. people don't realize it's impacting every single moment of your life. It's it incredible. Does. It really does. It really does. <laughs> uh. So when you went to school for that, what was your expectation of what you were going to do with it once you graduated? Yeah. So for me, my goal was to work at an advertising agency. And that was actually conveniently where I kind of ended up like directly post-graduation. Uh, post because I always loved like advertising agencies, the chance to work across a lot of brands. You know, it's idea driven. And yeah, so my big thing was like, I want to work in advertising. And I spent a couple years post-graduation doing that. And it's kind of, I don't know how much you know about advertising. There's a lot of like toxic parts to like the culture in advertising. Oh yeah, agencies. I know about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's what I ran into. I think, you know, being black, being in a very toxic, you know, very mm -hmm. undiverse cultures was just mm -hmm. draining on me. So yeah. I ended up, you know, making the switch to working for a couple of tech startups, which Tech, you know, honestly, they have their own toxic cultures. I've been fortunate enough to be very, very diligent because I was in that toxic agency atmosphere. 
finding businesses that I knew didn't have that and were more forward thinking and knew it was going to be a good fit. So that's how I kind of made that pivot into working in tech and B2B most specifically. Yeah, B2B tech is interesting because they're just now starting to loosen up a bit when it comes to being more creative with their advertising um, and their marketing. And pretty soon, and I'm seeing it starting to happen slowly but surely, one of the things is businesses, even though it's B2B, you're still selling to a person. So it's not that much different than marketing B2C, where you're selling to, you know, and so I totally see how you can vibe with that. So first of all, once you get into tech, I mean, you're, you're sucked in. (laughs) Nothing else will fill that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I love it. And like, I'm an ideas person. Like I'm not the most technically savvy person, but I love tech, what engineers are working on, what they're Mm -hmm. building, how they solve problems. And I carry that into a lot of stuff that I do. Like a lot of my work tends to focus around demand generation and marketing automation. So it really is that same process. Like what does the customer journey look like and what happens after someone downloads an ebook? What emails do they get? What advertising are they retargeted with? All of that. Um, Just really, really awesome atmospheres to be. Let me ask you something. Um, Yeah, that entire ecosystem of what happens as far as demand gen goes, is fascinating to most people who don't realize all of these things are are strategically placed to happen Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But when when you are in your tech environment, right, you're dealing with engineers, and I always have to preface this by saying I'm an engineer, (laughs) and (laughs) all the stereotypes I'm talking about, I have some of them myself, and the thing is I'm (laughs) self-aware. I'm so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when people point things out, I have to laugh. I'm like, yeah, that's you're yeah. exactly right. There you go. Um, but I've learned to listen to mm. the market. That has been the superpower behind businesses. How do you get them yeah. to, how do you influence them to go mm-hmm. along with some of your ideas that may seem not as, let me put it this way, to them, it's not one plus one equals two. It's like they download yeah. an ebook and then we do this. And you're probably a little bit more savvy with how to follow the buyer's journey to influence yeah. their purchasing decision. That's not a superpower that engineers are inherently yeah. born with. Okay. How do you influence yeah. them internally? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like the number one thing is showing an appreciation for the work that they do and understanding that even like, you know, I think a lot of people make the assumption that, oh, I want an engineer to just change this thing on this specific page. It's probably a quick five minute thing when in actuality, this may be like they have to dedicate a day to making this. If you don't know how complex some engineering tasks are, for me, it's an understanding where it's like, hey, you know, I understand this is a big ass. You got a lot of stuff on your plate in your workflow. And I'll start with like, hey, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, and let them tell me like, what does that involve? I'm always like, you know, if I were to yes. ask you to do this, what does it involve? So I know exactly what I'm asking them for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have an understanding. I'll just make the assumption that whatever I want needs to be pushed to the top of the queue. And I'll say like, you know, based on how much this is going to take, like, can I slide this in, you know, a couple of sprints down? Or if it's something quick and easy, um, you will be my permanent hero if you could squeeze it in earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. So I think number one thing is having an understanding that, things take time and you need to be sensitive to how much engineering tasks involve. And then I think the second thing is like, as a marketer, and I push like all the other, my colleagues I work with, like tie everything to revenue. If you can say, Hey, I want to make this change. 
this is what it's going to be the revenue impact Mm -hmm. and then let them prioritize accordingly. Cause I think Mm -hmm. as they understand the impact of it, they can properly prioritize and then the workflow all makes sense. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I live day in and day out focused on revenue and you would be surprised how many people are not. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in the tech startup world. It's like, well, um, (laughs) if we do this and do that, then we'll get investors. And I always say customers are the best investors. Yes. Right. That is the investment (laughs) that you're looking for. So I'm so glad that you're a marketer and a professional that understands things need to be tied back to revenue. And I'm just telling you, in my past marketing departments and other engineers will tell you this, we'd be like, what are they doing here? Like, what they're doing is not important. It's just making stuff pretty in the brochures. (laughs) You know, that was, you know, 15 years ago was the way I thought, right? Yeah. But the way you all have, I mean, you came out swinging, particularly with the immersion of digital marketing, right? Yeah. And analytics behind it and being able to follow the entire buyer's journey as much as you want to. So I want you to explain to the audience how you define demand gen, because a lot of people don't know the difference between demand gen, lead gen, and like, of course, lead gen includes like performance marketing and all of that. But I'd like yep. for you to describe to the audience your definition of demand gen and what you do in your career right now. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the toughest things to find. Like people ask me that actually all the time. Yeah. Um, I think broadly, if you look at marketing and you look at you, you have a lot of channel specialists. You have people who would do PPC, people who do marketing operations, you know, people who do reporting. And all of that, I see demand generation as kind of a function that oversees all of it. So I take a broad look at the entire field, like how are we acquiring customers? How are we being efficient there? I look at what's happening in the middle in terms of how you know leads and things that are generated are nurtured. And then I also am looking at the end of the funnel where typically, you know, marking hands over prospects to sales and then they're done. But I also look at how is sales converting? Are we sending them high enough quality leads? And then even all the way even further down the funnel, I'm looking at like our customers. Are there opportunities to push our customers to upgrade into higher plans for the business? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just really like demand generation broadly is just taking a marketing view at driving revenue. It's like wherever it is in the pipeline, whether it's acquisition or you're looking at, you know, retention of customers, driving revenue is really what demand generation does. That's right. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that that will drive the point home for many of our listeners. So I also saw that you did the uh, Y Combinator Startup School online. What made you want to do that? Yeah. Well, for me, like I've been a a tech head for a long time. And like, obviously, anybody who does anything in tech, like, you know what Y Combinator is. We know the stories. We know all the stuff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I saw that they had their, you know, their online school. And like, I'm not a huge online course person. Like I'll mess around with LinkedIn learning every now and then, but I saw it and I was like, you know, I love Y Combinator. They've got some of the best minds in tech there. Yeah. So I want to do this. I want to check this out. Like even with my business, it's not like some ultra complex SaaS startup or anything, but I want to see how they think about business just so I can learn. And that was huge for me. Like, I think there's such a lot you can take away from it. And it's free. Like, I think everyone should do it. Like, if you have a business, you should be doing that school. That's awesome. I'm glad that you (laughs) recommended that to the audience because 
I think a lot of people have great ideas and they read a few TechCrunch articles and be like, yeah, yeah. this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I'm leaving that job and, <laughs> and I'm going in and I'm going to be, yeah. you know, this next big, you know, tech superstar. And it's much more to it than it having is. a great idea. It is. And so that's awesome. I will actually put a link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah. And then finally, what I want to ask you about is yeah. I know that on well, your profile, it really highlights that you're somewhat of a HubSpot strategy and execution <laughs> guru. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's so many MarTech solutions out nowadays. Me personally, I probably use about 40 of them. Yeah. Rather <laughs> <a> for <laughs> my business, for clients, you know, I've tried them all. So what got you to kind of like grasp onto HubSpot and be like, yeah, this is a really good tool that can be used across many different businesses? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things I love about HubSpot. Now I'll be the first to say like, just because I'm a marketer doesn't mean I don't fall into the traps. Like I'm a HubSpot evangelist. Like they hooked me. I'm that sap who talks about HubSpot everywhere. So they got me even as a marketer. Um, But one of the things that I love about it is I think when you're looking at MarTech, especially MarTech that kind of bridges marketing and sales, it's only as good as the data that you put into it. And what I love about HubSpot specifically is for salespeople who aren't like me, like they're not tech, they don't get into those systems and all that. It's so easy for them to use that they actually use it. So I found organizations where you know, they'll use a CRM like Salesforce and like, yeah. you know, the salespeople don't really know how to use it effectively. So they just don't update it. They don't put that critical data in there. Mm-hmm. I found that HubSpot is so user friendly that you get good data and it's growing. It's becoming more robust. I think the big knock on it is it is for kind of like smaller, maybe mid-sized businesses, but they've slowly grown the product. They're expanding, you know, getting more custom functionality. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always a big, big champion of HubSpot, just because it allows marketing and sales to work so closely. Like that is the biggest thing. It should be a frictionless collaboration between marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. HubSpot has always been the tool that lets me do that. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm always a big fan of HubSpot. And okay, I have to agree with you on that. They are mm-hmm. partners with several of the tech startup incubators I'm associated with. So yeah. they really do a good job of offering not quite free um, the, not yeah. freemium style, but it's heavily discounted to get people using it. Their customer yeah. acquisition strategy is sick. Not only that, yes. <laughs> their demand gen is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the amount yes. of content marketing and courses and things yeah. that they give you free of charge. I mean, exactly. they, they are a lesson <laughs> in demand gen. They are. They are. They're always an example I point to. Every business I go to, yeah. like I'm always using HubSpot as an example just because they do it so well. Mm-hmm. They've done a great job. Well, that's it. So what did you think? You see, Mike is one of those people that's using his talents in both corporate and in his own firm. And there are more and more people doing that these days. There's nothing quite like building a client base of your own and having options to create income for yourself that's independent of the corporate world. If this is something that you're considering, I hope this episode brought you inspiration. 
Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.